This call is being recorded. So, of course, we're getting together today to discuss how we can apply the Dhamma to this situation that we find ourselves in. And one of the things that, of course, we all know about the Dhamma is that the Buddha taught it for the sole purpose of relieving suffering, relieving dukkha. All the different ways in which living beings cling and and experience discomfort, disappointment, distress, suffering, all the sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. That's what the Buddha was aiming to remedy. And he did. And you've probably noticed in your lifetime, as I have, that when things change in a major way in one's personal life, uh, you're, someone near you, near to you dies or um, a primary relationship ends or we become sick or something happens. This is a, a time when we're in a kind of an upheaval and we can use it for change. Or we can scramble to restore stasis, normal, normalcy. And sometimes we do both. We, um, we really make an effort to change for the better. And we can see that development in ourselves. And then we also reestablish some stability. And that's probably the healthiest way to go. But when we're looking at something so pervasive as what we have now, I think an interesting question is, what kind of change can we make for the better? And with the the Buddha's um, encouragement to have one goal in mind, which is awakening, it really makes... Um, this whole situation um, valuable in the sense of how can we use this to really change my mind? How can we use this to really develop? And I don't mean it this in a way of like we want to gain something. It's not how it works. It's more about just developing wisdom. And with wisdom... And of course, along with compassion, that's the best way that we can be of help to others. So the Dhamma provides um, the the actual reality, um, the realistic perspective of the way things work. And the Buddha gave many methods for how to apply the Dhamma and how to practice it and how to develop wisdom. And, you know, for one, you know, one way, one um, piece is to recognize that disease is natural. As we look at the situation, we, we, it feels so unnatural, so 
incredibly different, unprecedented in one sense. But if we are really, you know, aware, you know, as the Buddha said, aging, sickness, death, this is natural. This is what everyone experiences. And if we can see, okay, disease is a natural experience. And how can we use this and reflect upon this in a way that we can let go of our intoxication with health, as the Buddha said. Let go of our intoxication with youth, health, wealth, and life is what the Buddha taught. And so it's like when we're suffering with fear, anger, anxiety, it's completely natural and understandable. But we don't have to continue to cycle through those feelings. We can use the Buddhist methods to observe them and to uproot the causes of them. And so it's, it's um, you know, this full-on kind of application of the Dhamma, um, the development of the, the divine abidings that we looked at in the, that we were using in the meditation, as well as the development of the seeing directly the impermanence, the suffering and the not-self. And it's so in our face right now, um, everywhere around us. There are lots of um, suggestions from the Buddha about how to remain stable in the midst of the storm. I was uh, reading a little bit in a book by Ajahn Jayasaro. He's a British-born monk in Thailand. Um, he was the, I met him 20 years ago at Wapananajat. And he's um, been teaching for decades, of course. And he writes reflections every two weeks and shares them with a group of people in China. This has been going on for a few years. And then after a number of these are pulled together, they're put into a collection. And I was just uh, reading this one a couple of days ago, and I thought it might be a valuable image for us. He said, I have always loved the big stone Buddhas dotted across the Thai landscape. Two years ago, a generous lay supporter donated one such Buddha to my hermitage. As the sun moves steadily towards the west, the wind blows clouds across the sky towards the south and makes the branches of the tree behind this Buddha shiver and sway. I love to look at the Buddha's face and see the interplay between the changeless stillness and peace of the stone from which it has been sculpted and the patterns of light and shade that play upon it, conditioned by sun and wind. It seems to me that when Buddhas are out in the open in this way, they can teach us many things. Without words, this beautiful white Buddha teaches all who see it that in the enlightened mind, the ups and downs of daily life 
are merely superficial patterns playing upon the surface of an awareness that is unmoving and filled with timeless peace, wisdom, and compassion. So this image of how we can stabilize our own minds and be filled with wisdom, peace, and compassion in the midst of this incredible change. So that's, um, I think, where we're headed, but it might not be where we are. And the first step is to start where we are, to really be um, willing to accept how it feels right now. And to reflect on where the um, those feelings come from, what are the causes. And then to look at how can I uh, put in the kinds of causes and conditions that really bring about this kind of awareness that is not hiding away at all from what's happening, but is clear, stable, mind. I love that the Buddhist teachings continually come back to wisdom and compassion. And that that's also our birthright, our our nature. So I think I'll stop there. And we'll let the recording continue if you'd like for it to. I want to hear from you. Um, if you want to speak, unmute yourself. And when you're finished, you can mute yourself again or we can do it for you, but I want to hear from you about how you're doing, about what you're thinking, um, and about questions or um, challenges that you see in this situation. And if you'd like the recording to be shut off when you speak, just let us know. We'll turn it off. Who would like to start? I I can start. Hello? Okay. Tell us your name and where you're calling in from. Uh, my name's Sammy, and I'm currently in Berkeley, California. Okay. Um... I guess it's not a fully formed question, but <sighs> something I'm slowly processing and digesting is um, that I would love to hear anyone's opinion about is um, when when non-action is um, wise and when action is wise, because I'm used to being um, working with working in service and um, I've been doing it for four years, and now all of a sudden, just being quarantined, um, it's been difficult, and it also feels like kindness to not be exposing myself for many reasons, but 
love to just hear reflections on um, when action just isn't wise and why. I have some support around my current process. So one thing I can say is that I agree with you that right now it's not wise. That the Mm -hmm. wisest thing to do is to not um, be with people, um, not do anything that will cause infection to spread and and yet I think a lot of times we don't realize how powerful our practice is and our minds are so we can be by ourselves and um, just thinking kind thoughts um, mm-hmm. just uh, wishing wishing people well has an impact um, I was reading one of the Buddhist discourses recently. I think it was the one we actually studied on Wednesday night in our sutta study, where there are these three monks who are practicing together, and they they fully develop their minds to uh, arahantship. And the Buddha at the end of the discourse says that um, the people around them and even anyone who remembers them, their family, their friends, or anyone in their city or, or country that would remember them with confidence, it would be a great gain for them just to remember these practitioners with confidence. Mm. And so it's, it's really the case that we can do a lot just being by ourselves. And when, and clearly the, the signs are stay home, Take care of yourself well, and this is still a service you can do with your heart. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Hi, this is Betsy in Felton. Hi, Betsy. Hi, thank you so much for being here for us all. You're welcome. Um, if it's okay, I'd like to add something to um, the last inquiry. Sure. Um, one of the things that I've been working with in the last couple of days staying home um, is watching the tendencies of my mind to make up reasons why I need to go out. Mm. Um, And fully recognizing, you know, it's almost as soon as the thought comes, it's like, well, I need to go get this. I need to go get that. And I can go to the store and get this. I can go to storage and get that. Um, I don't really need to. That's not an immediate need in my life. Um. I can either wait or I actually really don't need it. And really recognizing you know, how much renunciation is coming into this. Yeah. Um, I felt pretty set up for at least two weeks at home. And I, I don't know if other people have prepared in that way. Um, 
but for myself, just really recognizing the tendencies of the mind to want to be out in the world and how much I am used to in my life having what I want now and I don't really need it. Um, yeah. It's an interesting process to watch how strong the mind is in that way. Well, and it's understandable. It's our it's our pattern. It's our it's the way we've been doing life. You know, it's coming and going and going out to get whatever we want. And this has been the way that's been normal behavior for our culture. And so when we when we stop what we're doing. It's completely understandable to have those restless feelings and that urge to keep going. And if you've ever kind of really been like obsessing mentally on something um, and then you go to sleep at night, there's a tendency to keep obsessing. Or if you try to sit down to meditate, the mind just keeps going. And once it's understandable, it needs time to settle down. So I, I think what you're saying, what you're pointing at is great because we we can look at it, we can accept that, well, this is normal. It's normal to feel, you know, some cabin fever or feel like I really have to get out of here or I just want to go do something. I want to get something like you're saying. I think it's totally normal. And just to see, okay, this is how the mind is. It's got this habit energy that wants to keep running. But then what you're what you're talking about is bringing that awareness to it and making an, a conscious decision about whether or not you want to keep that re- energy running or put a stop to it, invite it to slow down. We can do it compassionately. We don't have to feel bad about it or anything like that. But then that's where the practice starts to really take on some um, some benefits. That renunciation and no, no, and then realizing, oh, I don't need it. I don't have to go. I don't have to satisfy this urge to run. I can actually rest. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Betsy. Hi, this is Beth in Seattle. Hi, Beth. Hi. Um, so what I'm what I'm working with um, is a lot of sadness because I'm a healthcare provider, but I'm seventy, and um, my boss sent me home and said, "Get out of here." Um, I'm a midwife, and I I um, we're seeing a lot of turmoil and suffering in that community as people are trying to figure out where to have their babies and women are not wanting to go to the hospital to have their babies. And we do um, home births. And so my colleagues are just being so stretched and I, I fear for them and I, I fear for our clients. And then I feel, um, I feel kind of 
I don't know, selfish or something that I'm staying away and other people are putting their lives on the line. Um, so. Well, I think it certainly deserves a lot of compassion for yourself and all the work that you've done probably over what decades yeah, 40, 47 years. <laughs> that's a that's a good long time. That's a good long stint of service, Beth. <laughs> and I imagine that um, you were sent home because you're at more risk because of your age. Yeah. 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 Yep. I mean, I went to I did a birth on Monday and then Tuesday morning morning I'd clinic and I and I went in and as I was driving in I I said to myself I said I cannot do this anymore and I got to work and my boss was there and she said you're not going to work the rest of the day and your daughter called me <laughs> and said you can't let her work anymore so um I mean it was I cried my boss cried um, yeah so when you thought that you couldn't do it anymore, what was behind that thought? Was it the physical demands or? It's a, it's kind of all of it. It's like, I, it's like, it's fear, which I'm really working with my fear, um, uh, fear that I've already been infected somehow or fear that I have infected others um, because of close contact you know, I mean, midwifery is not something you can do remotely. Yep. And, uh, and then just, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, God knows we may come to that. I don't know. Um, but, um, but it was also just, this is what everyone is being told is, you know, this is a, I'm in a, a, a risk category. Yeah. I'm one of the people, you know, and, uh, even though I'm pretty healthy physically, it's like I'm still 70 and my immune system isn't what it used to be. And um, so it was this, it was this sort of messy combination of what is the, what is the greatest good? Um, and, and, and then I end up feeling kind of selfish. Um, so. From the Dhamma. And I'm doing what I can from home. Uh-huh. I mean, we're doing telemedicine visits, so I do those. And and there's been a call out in Washington for people to make um, face masks. Uh-huh. So I'm going to do that. Uh, but anyway, I've just... Yeah. I'm, just, I'm really sad. Right. So from the Dhamma perspective, um, you've known all along that there would be a time when you'd stop practicing. Right. That's all impermanent. Yeah. And I think it's great that you can still use your experience online to help people. That sounds like a great thing, probably some coaching. Maybe people can even call you on site. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome because how many people have all that experience? That's 
really valuable. Right. But it's like from the Dhamma perspective, this kind of change where we have to give up our beloved career happens to everybody who survives that long, if we do love our career. (laughs) And, And it's like, okay, it's happening in this really intense context. Uh, which probably adds a few layers, but it's still the same practice, right? Turning towards what am I clinging to? Right, right. If I can look at what I'm clinging to and know, you know, this is what the Buddha said, this is impermanent, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, (laughs) will become separated from me, I get to practice letting go. I get to practice stepping back and resting on the Dhamma and really knowing that this is okay. There's nothing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And the feelings, of course, are understandable. And being with those feelings, um, you know, and holding them gently and not at all feeling bad about anything but just watching them move through mindfully. And the feeling of selfishness probably is pretty closely connected to feeling self. Right. (laughs) You know, who am I anyway? (laughs) Right, of course. course. And again, it's natural, but um, this this is such a great, chance for letting go and making some real progress towards awakening because you're 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 clearly healthy you're clearly you have a good mind you can really do a lot of good dhamma practice now right and you're going to take that with you when you leave this planet yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Hello. Hello, Rick. I can't hear you so well. Can you- can you hear me? Now I can hear you. Okay. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. It's beautiful in the Redwood Forest. <laughs> ah, I wish it there. I was thinking, it's like, oh, I should make a big pot of something and go set it outside your door. <laughs> we would appreciate it. <laughs> it happened. It's, it's lovely seeing, I'm looking at the map here and all the different places and people who have joined. It's um, it's quite touching to the heart. Yes, it is. Um, and yeah, as I was, I've listening, and I wanted to share a, a story I heard. Maybe reflect on a story I heard. It might, um, it might be helpful. And it's um, there was there was this man who left his house, and he would go by this meditation center every morning, and he would look in there and through this window, and he would just see all these people just sitting. 
And he's like, why are they sitting? There's so much we have to do. We have to get out in the world and we have to do this and we have to do that. He went about his day and then he'd go home. And then the next day, morning would come and he'd look in and he'd see all these people just just sitting there meditating and, you know, not doing much. And he goes, he couldn't understand it. One day he's out there and um, Zen master comes out and um, talking to the man. And he goes, I don't understand what, what, what you're doing in there. I walk by every, every day and there's all these people just sitting there and they're not doing anything. And, so the Zen teacher looks at him, you know, they're, they're doing, what they're doing is they're doing nothing else. Which is, the mind thinks it should be doing this, but it's actually the mind's doing something else. They're not, that they're not doing anything, they're just doing something else, nothing else And what the mind was. And I've always appreciated that story because it, for me, it helps me understand the cultivation of the practice when I when I pause. That it's just like I'm doing I'm doing something else. I'm doing nothing else than what someone else may think I should be doing, or even my own mind doing. I was really touched by by Beth what you were sharing, and that the mind thinks we should be doing this and we're doing that. But the the pausing of coming into seclusion, having this kind of a, a unique opportunity to be secluded, to meet our heart, to be caring, and to develop that wisdom, is it's not doing nothing. It's doing nothing else, which is a something in a way that I believe when we, you know, can come back out and walk more with one another, that hopefully there's that the Dhamma reset button, that the Dhamma seeped in in a way for all of us to say, you know, is there something we can do a little bit differently in this world than the way that we were? So, Rick, right now and the experience you're having in your own life, what's really, where's the rubber meeting the road? What's your experience? I'm, uh, you know, my experience, it's um, I'm being with my heart on what's going on. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think something that you said, it's like, you know, I'm opening to that. I'm not being afraid of it. I'm not being afraid if a tear comes out. And through that, what it also has done for me, because of I've taken all the classes the Mindfulness Care Center we're doing online. I'm doing them online. And um, it's also helped me cultivate another way to be there for people. That it's like, okay, we can't be there in person, but we can do these things and, and that that feels good to my own heart, you know, that, that I could help others and yeah. that helps me. And um, if that's answering the question is to be open to caring, it's in this time, mm-hmm. not be afraid of it and to see what arises from it is the desire to to know that little ways we can I can do certain things to help others. Yeah, and what I'm hearing in that is to not be afraid of feeling the pain. Yeah, well. To not be afraid of feeling the grief, the fear, whatever comes up. Yeah, and and what I think is pain, well, you know, my eyes getting teary and hot and shaking and 
my breath shaking. You know, that's not pain. That's just, that's compassion showing itself in the physical form of caring for humanity. It's not quite my definition or what I understand the Buddha's definition as compassion, though. Um, Because compassion is a divine abiding. It doesn't have the shakiness and the teariness in it. Um, But I do, but it, of course, is true that the shakiness, the teariness, and all of that arises. Right. It's part of what we're clinging. It's part of our clinging. And it's fine. We need to just hold it as dukkha and turn towards it. Use the first three noble truths on it. You know, really, really recognizing with a with a kind and compassionate, mindful heart, mm-hmm. and and be with it, because real compassion doesn't have any sadness in it or any um, grief in it. It's actually a divine abiding. It's a, a state of mind of the gods, which is different. So it's good to reflect on that distinction, I think. And, um, you know, the danger, of course, is spiritual bypassing. If we try to act like it's all in order and it's not, um, to act like um, the divine, and really we need to turn towards whatever pain is there. And I hear that you're doing that, and that's great. Yeah, I mean, I know that is my work as a chaplain and the work that, you know, that I do with people. It's just, you know, being able to sit with. Yeah. Do it. And and at times that I'm not a Buddha yet. (laughs) And that notice, oh, there are these feelings that arise from having a body of a nervous system. Yeah. And taking these teachings and being the observer of whatever the body is, the feeling, it's like taking it from that point of like, oh, I can notice what I am feeling without, you know, the judgment and be okay with it, kind of building it from that perspective. Exactly, exactly. We're stepping back to the, the solid platform of mindfulness to observe what's going on. Yeah, so I think for me, I always kind of build the observer and, you know, try to help others begin to understand that. And that kind of helps like, oh, there's less judgment about whatever's going on in the body, what it is feeling, and and, yeah. and being open to it with the, that big compassionate wisdom, as you were saying, that it's just like, oh, and this is the nature of what we're going through. This is, you know, this is humanity. This is mm-hmm. nature running its course in a way that none of us expected. Mm, that's right. Someone said to me, if someone had told me three months ago that we were going to be here or whatever time frame they used, <laughs> we wouldn't have believed them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, so maybe, but still. It's wild. And I think part of it is, I think something you were sharing for me that, you know, I've been reflecting on that how it's just changed all of us, the impermanence of who we thought we were, what we could do, our choices that we can make, that just was taken, you know, it was like saying, nope, that's all been taken away on a certain level. And it's like, oh, this is what, this is impermanence. This is yeah. 
on and they never expected it. Yeah, that's why it's such a rich time for practice. Thank you, Rick. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for doing this for everyone. Hi, this is Kat. Oh. Hi, this is Kat from San Jose. Okay. Can you hear me? It, there's, I think there's been someone muting my phone. Uh, you can do that online. If there's this entry from Los Gatos, California, if you could not mute, uh, I'd appreciate it. Can you hear me? Okay. Okay. Kat. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. I'm going to get the hang of this technology. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for, for doing this. My um, experience is I'm so far from all of the, uh, you know, the, the uh, abidings that you were talking about, the loving kindness and compassion and, and all of that that we we're trying to cultivate in the beginning meditation. I, I don't have any of it. <laughs> like, uh, it just really, even just, it's a, it makes me, I'm emotional too. Yeah, sure. Like, like where I'm at, I'm, I'm filled with anger and anxiety and uh, worry and despair. Yeah. And so uh, I appreciate the, the visual you gave us at the beginning because I think that is where we want to go, um, but definitely not where I'm at. <laughs> and, um, you know, part of it is even before all this hit, I really haven't been... Uh, practicing so it's like you know that meditation today was probably the longest I've sat still in a year yeah so you know just uh even just the the physical sensation like I hadn't realized how and I'm, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing a headset right now and it's like I can hear and feel my heart rate it's just like oh my heart is racing and it's like you know physical body is just un, uh, over time yeah yeah you know, and that's the part of just recognizing that. So I was kind of hesitant to even speak because I knew I'd get, you know, all emotional and blabbering. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I... I okay. I, <laughs> I like about a nun's but, story. It's always fine to be emotional. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I really appreciate uh, the teachings. And, and, and uh, yeah, I just I wanted to express my gratitude of, of having this uh, space to just kind of be at. and. Um, and just being honest about where I'm at and kind of saying it out loud because I also try to, you know, be the, the, the rock for my family and friends and everything's going to be fine and, you know, be all motivating and stuff, but not really. I, I need to allow myself to feel all the feelings that I'm feeling in order to even kind of get past that in a real way instead of just pretending like everything's, you know, fine. So, you know, so it's just, really, uh, it really is important while you're going through this in addition to being able to just kind of sit down and be with those feelings um, is to do what you can to feed your mind things that are uplifting and um, encourage to whatever degree you can those four um, mental states of joy, equanimity, or really, you know, deep peace, compassion and kindness, um, if you can encourage that more in the mind, maybe give yourself a break from media. Are you are you uh, sheltering at home? I am, yeah. Uh, 
So you have to I, I, uh, probably over yes. here and see and read, and, and it's useful to limit it and try to turn yeah. the money towards things that are beautiful and positive. It's not about escaping. You also will be, you know, taking time to be present with all those feelings. Because like you said, your honesty of like, this is where I am. This is where we all, we all will, all of us have to be willing to be where we are at instead of trying to make it into something else or I shouldn't feel this way or I should be more advanced by in this by now or whatever it is. It's like, no, even if you've been, you know, a monk or a nun for 20 years or 40 years or whatever it is, if those feelings arise, that's what's there and you just with that. Um, but also really try to give your heart as much kindness and as much uplift as you can because it balances, it gives you the strength to be present with these feelings without being awash in them, which okay. is not easy. That's pretty advanced. You know, it's even pretty advanced to say, this is where I'm at. Um, and then to, you know, really support yourself. You know how to do training. And, right. <laughs> and this is a training of the mind. You've, you've got to give it enough like training a dog or something you know you've got to give it enough encouragement and um, happiness so it can do its work to develop the other the other parts yeah it's it's not easy but it's so beneficial okay thank you yeah sure and feel free to call us um, if you okay. want to and that, that's true for anybody. You can call us. We've got our landline here now. It's that number on the uh, Las Gatas uh, one here, 408-354-3305. So um, somebody called in early this morning to talk about what was going on with her. And, you know, if we can't, if we can't answer, we can set up a time, some time to, to talk. So thanks a lot for sharing that, Kat. I'm glad you felt like you could. Thank you. Hello. Can you re can you repeat your number? Sure. It's um four zero eight three five four three three zero five. And it's also on our website. Hi, um, I'm calling in from Bellingham. Huh? I'm calling in from Bellingham. Yes. Hi. Hi. And um, you're Marissa? Yes. Nice to hear from you. Hi. Um, so I'm a second-year college student, and, you know, it's all been, like, pretty weird, you know? It's, um, it's been, like interesting to like go through this because I am like just becoming an adult and like realizing that like life is kind of hard you know and it's hard to be away from family and friends yep and um at the same time like you know I have I have like ups and downs and 
sorry I'm like really emotional I'm sorry <laughs> okay Marissa really uh, yeah so really okay <laughs> <laughs> um I use um meditation practices to like and it and it really helps because I can calm myself down and but then it comes in cycles like it's like oh it's like I feel really calm and I feel like and then it comes back like the anxiety and like you know and I think that's normal but it's just like huh and then the other thing is like I think um personally I it's like hard to like really accept impermanence um like I do and it's like I know it's a thing but you know when you're so young you never really think about like that you are gonna die and that like you know that's fine like I get it but it's like weird to like I kind of like stress about health health stuff and like you know one day my body is gonna like disintegrate and like so I have to be I'm just wondering about that whole thing, you know. Yeah, so um, first thing I want to say is this is really weird, super weird. So just to notice, <laughs> just, yeah. just, you know, really like take that in. It's like, yes, this is an unprecedented situation and it is really weird. And now um, what do I want to do with that? And I like that you're able to get calm and and sit down and meditate and then when fear and anxiety arise it might be good to look at what were you thinking or reading or listening to um, that contributes to that because we really suffer because of the way we think mm -hmm. and when we think about how things are impermanent and uh, the Buddha wanted us to notice that everything in this world is impermanent. You, me, I mean, in terms of the body, um, everything that we have and all the people in our lives. I mean, there's going to be a time when they'll leave this this life and that that's completely natural. Mm -hmm. And it's true that when you're young, um, you may not think much about, you know, getting older, um, getting sick, passing away. And sometimes things happen to people when they're very young, like they lose a parent or something major happens with their health as a child. Um, I know one person who was told that he wouldn't live past the age of something like 22. Wow. And so he grew up with this idea, and he has lived past 22. He's, I think he's in his 40s now. But, you know, sometimes life brings things to a young person that causes them to really have to look at this. And the Buddha called it um, losing intoxication, like I mentioned a little bit earlier. He yeah. said... He lost the intoxication with youth and the intoxication with health and the intoxication with life. And it's like, this is a good intoxication to lose. Not, not because it'll make us, you know, morbid and, and, and dark, but because it gives us a chance to cherish life and to really 
recognize that there is an important task in this life, and it's developing wisdom. Mm-hmm. There's a, a really incredible monk that we went to visit recently in Thailand, and he said, the only reason, the reason you have eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind is to develop wisdom. And, you know, we're doing all kinds of other things with it, right? But, and what is developing wisdom? That was a question I had when I was, you know, before I met up with the Dhamma. It's like, what is wisdom and who's got it? You know, and how do you, how do you do that? And the most beneficial way to find out is to really study the Buddhist teachings, I think. Because even though wisdom is everywhere and other traditions, um, on Dhamma, the truth of the way things are, that's everywhere. That's the air we breathe. That's what's natural. That's the way things work. It's like gravity. It's the natural law of cause and effect. And so you'll find evidence of it all over the place. But from my experience, the Buddha laid it out the most clearly and the most completely. So reading what the Buddha actually taught is really helpful in developing wisdom. And then where we see something that he says, like talks about karma and rebirth and stuff that we may not understand, or we may not have a full understanding of it. Why did he think that was so important? And then to really like ask questions and learn about it and then see how it applies in our life. And then we start to gain more and more inner stability. And it's it's like, you know, like some people here have been saying, you know, we have a lot of feelings arising. That's pretty natural. Um, it's very, very, very natural. And then that's a flag. It's like an indicator. Oh, there's something here I can look at and understand better. And when I understand it better, I'll see it differently. And wisdom really is about seeing things differently than the normal way of the world. That we see that all of these things that we fear are really not threatening. Not really. Because we will die. We will age. We will get sick. It's okay. It's not that hard. Everybody does it. You know. And the key is remembering that there is something beyond this life and that the wisdom we develop goes with us. And so it's like how to live this life and be in the present moment and really take it all in and use it wisely and be of support to others in the process and then have no regrets. And when it's time to leave, it's okay. Thank you. You're welcome. This this is Carol. Hi, Carol. And I'm speaking from the other end of the lifespan. <laughs> um, I'm and 77. Yes. The other end of the lifespan and from Oakland? And from Oakland, yes. That's okay. true. 
Um, this has been a most, um, I don't know how to even describe it. This time has been so rich for me. And I have to say, um, I, I think I remember writing you some note that I was in the soup of, of death and illness because I had, um, a person that I had been, um, involved with for a long time had just died in January and then I got physically sick and um, I was looking at our book mindfully facing disease and death and wondering why it wasn't of any use to me in this in this time but I somehow think I I needed to go down and um what has happened is I, I feel like I'm, I'm developing a whole different um, relationship to my practice. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, and it's very easy. I mean, it's very interesting to me because this whole business of um, being secluded for me, actually, this is kind of like my life. I mean, I, I live alone. I don't have children, all the rest of it. Um, but I think I was always fighting against it, and somehow sitting would just make me feel more alone. But now I feel like I'm actually contributing something to the welfare of other people by not um, uh, not associating with them and what is so fascinating is that there have been wonderful things that have happened um, that seem almost miraculous but I mean I feel very connected to people um, the the chaplain who was um, involved with uh, with Yoko's hospice um, she'd been trying to get in touch with me and I just hadn't called back but she did reach me a couple of days ago and we were able to talk about how you know I I felt such relief when Yoko died because it kind of solved a lot of just logistical problems in my life um, and then I've come to uh, kind of feel um, I don't know, not guilt, but um, my my feelings have changed. I kind of feel like she was not really supported at the end. And um, I, I took a picture of her uh, when she died. I was the one who found her. And I haven't shown, I hadn't shown it to anyone. But um, I talked with this chaplain and... Um, and we were we were really laughing. I mean, it was really a great conversation. We were talking about you know just this whole situation we're in now. Um, but I asked her if she would, if I could, email her the picture I'd taken because I felt like I wanted to share it with someone. And I I was interpreting it as uh, she was really struggling for breath. I mean, I could, it can be looked at in that way um 
And she shared with me this wonderful poem that's going around that's called Pandemic by Lynn Ungar. I don't know if anyone has seen it. It's wonderful. Um, and, And then she got back to me and said, well, she she felt what she saw was awe, A-W-E, uh, and not this desperate last gasping for breath. So it's very interesting how that has um, affected me and kind of eased my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, there are just many things. I, I posted the this the pandemic poem on the bulletin board downstairs, which we're not supposed to do um, uh, with a note that, you know, asking if there were any other meditators in the building that maybe we could have form a Sangha. And I left my um, telephone number and email and all there and haven't heard from anyone, but I just feel good having done that, made that, um, effort, I guess, or just that reaching out, uh, even that, even if nothing happens, uh, that makes me feel good. So I'm actually in very good spirits now. <laughs> and the whole thing is quite amazing to me, but there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the thing I shouldn't say is this, too, is impermanent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're right. Yes, yes. And I really encourage you to do more more meditation and and do more looking at all of the the Noble Eightfold Path and, you know, Mm -hmm. what what could use some some growth and development and put some energy into it. And it's, it's, even though we're, uh, sheltering at home, and we might feel completely isolated. Since we've got the internet, it's really great. You can put your your hands on lots of great teachings and uh, make a lot of a lot of good progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might want to look back now that you're in a happy space. You might want to look at back at the mindfulness facing disease and death book and see <laughs> anything there that's actually um, touches the heart. You might not find it there, but um, but the Buddhist teachings that are in there, the the suttas in particular. I mean, Bhante Nalio's words are also helpful too. But either either way, there might be something there to stimulate some further investigation. I think you're right. I think I'm in a different mind space now but you know when we were actually meeting and talking about it I was just feeling like well this isn't helping me (laughs) but that I think that's just where I was at that time Mm -hmm. yeah and things change isn't that lovely (laughs) that's That's all I want to say really thank you Carol Thank thank you Hello? Hello. Oh, okay. You can hear me. Sorry, you're breaking up a little bit. Oh, Carrie, yes. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm calling from San Diego. Uh-huh. And, 
Thanks very much, Aya, for doing this and for the beautiful um, Brahma Bihar meditation. And I just wanted to uh, just share a couple of things in terms of, you know, thinking about how we can use what's going on to support, um, you know, wisdom and, and, and compassion, um, uh, observing things in myself. And one of the things is, um, there's just two things I want that are really prominent for me. And one of them is, um, in terms of compassion and medicine extending to all beings, I, I have this, um, well, of course I hear the news and I have a website that, that shows where, uh, it lists just like all the countries where it is and how many deaths and how many cases and so forth. And as I was, the first time I went to the website, I was going down, just reading the countries and so forth. And it was so um, interesting, although not really surprising, I guess, to me, how I was able to feel um, so much mm, uh, love and compassion for when I read the names of certain places as opposed to reading the names of others. So, you know, I speak several languages and there are certain cultures in the world that I feel very connected to. And that was very easy. And I was just observing in myself how that changed when I, you know, would read uh, the name of a country and a culture, either with which I was not familiar or for perhaps I had some, some, I don't want to say negative, that might be too strong, or just not particularly uh, loving or connected kinds of feelings. And so... It's been interesting for me. I try to go to the website a lot and just to try to continue to um, to see, make the intention of extending my, you know, my feelings of love and compassion, um, you know, to people that I don't feel so connected to, um, uh, and even those people that I do feel connected to that I'll never meet. And that's been a bit of an interesting um, practice for me. And... Um, and another thing is that while I certainly have, you know, fears and, and some uh, moments of anxiety and so forth, uh, particularly about the fact that I'm <laughs> losing a lot of my retirement money, I, I have also noticed, um, a certain, um, what appears to be a certain equanimity. Um, I do work uh, in a as a medical interpreter, so I have to go into medical environments, and I'm being very careful. But I, I, a certain equanimity, or yeah, I guess it is, uh, and, and which I think, oh, how beautiful! You know, the fruits of practice. Um, many things that that, that cause me to reflect on the fruits of practice fruits of practice and particularly a certain equanimity that I'm feeling where some people around me are, you know, quite more upset. And I'm asking myself, is this really the fruits of my practice or am I just in some kind of denial? Um, it may be both, but, um, anyway, I just, um, uh, I, um, I'm just feeling particularly grateful for, Mm, this observation and inquiry at this time. And I just wanted to share that. Yeah. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you.
Hi, sister. It's Dohara calling from Walnut Creek. Hello, Dohara. Hi. Um, I have a quick, like, it's not a question. It's just something I've been witnessing. Um, like when people just normally, I feel like people are much kinder and nicer, but with this virus and this panic shopping, just people are just becoming more nasty. And I was telling my husband, Sada, I was like, wow, I'm noticing more people are just rude and um, impatient. So I just want to know how do I make, like, how do I spread compassion and still hold that space while still witnessing people fighting over things like toilet paper? You know, I think the best way is to look what's behind that fighting over toilet paper. Mm -hmm. And they're scared, probably. There's a lot of anxiety. Um, Panic is no fun. It's definitely dukkha. Greed, wanting it for myself, wanting to take it away from someone else, all those experiences. There's a lot of suffering there. So we can... We can look at it and we can really bring up compassion for that. And it's understandable. And if people don't have some kind of spiritual practice, I think they've, they suffer a lot more. You know, they don't, they may not have much in the way of resources or tools that encourage them towards what's wholesome and beneficial. If most of our, um, you know, acquaintances and our worldview stems from a an idea that we have to take what we can get and hold on to it as best we can. Um, that's that's really um, a lot of suffering. It doesn't lead to peace and happiness. It doesn't lead to being able to let go of what we've had and um, you know and and accept the natural experiences of life we go kicking and screaming so i think that's the best way really really um step back use some wisdom and mindfulness to really see them more deeply most of the time when we're dealing with greed hatred greed or hatred it's because we're not looking deeply enough at the truth of the way things are. So that's what I would recommend. Okay. Thank you, sister. Sure. Hi, this is Sue from San Jose. Um, did you say Sue? Yeah. Okay. Welcome, Sue. <laughs> Thank you. I just want to share uh, some observations from uh, my community and my work. Um, and uh, there, it's actually um, been amazing to see. Uh, so I work in software. Um, and... Uh, I work with very diligent and, uh, you know, hyper people who want to get things done mm-hmm. and who are now stuck at home 
Mm -hmm. uh, with their families. And my boss, for example, has four kids and three dogs (laughs) and a wife. Um, And it's, you know, it's a very, I feel like this whole thing is a very, um, for some people, amusing, some people, horrific, uh, but overall, very interesting social experiment. Can you can you live with your family? And if you're alone, can you live with yourself, with your thoughts? Uh, how well do you really know each other? Uh, how well do you know your coworkers? And a lot of our meetings are now remote. So it's for me, it's actually been nice and rewarding to see people, kids or dogs pop up <laughs> on the uh on the other side and see like people are not robots we're very professional at work we're always trying to get things done but there's a human being there uh there's a whole life behind it mm. and so work and personal life are kind of coming together yeah mm. and you see what that person is striving for every day when they come for uh come to work you know that that is life behind life um, and you see, uh, you know, a lot of confessions. It's like, okay, home and work are kind of mixing together. Mm-hmm. And uh, how much people value their boundaries and how much people are, who are always complaining about commute are now saying that was, that was me time, you know, that was my sacred time just to be myself. Uh, with myself, uh, neither at work, neither neither at home, you know, and somebody posted, a a couple of people posted, like, a a little picture saying, this is where I'm going, uh, uh, getting away today, and there's the options of the bathroom versus the bedroom versus the balcony, right, so those are your travel plans for the weekend, (laughs) uh, which which portion of the house you're going to hunker down in and just kind of find some space, um, you know, who's vying for bathroom time and, uh, you know, navigate, navigating uh, across past each other and emotions and, and, and fears and yeah. irritations and habits. <laughs> <laughs> they've come under a microscope when you're together and mm. yeah there's fear uh, there's annoyance but there's a lot of humor uh, that has come about um, and you have to be careful with that you know uh, can't let as long as it's not hurtful but there, there is a lot of humor yes uh, that that people are sharing and uh, one of the some of the heartwarming things that people are doing is uh, my sister's neighborhood in Santa Rosa, somebody said, hey, we'll get you groceries mm. if you're unable to leave the house or too scared. Uh, and when I shared that, like, my boss said the same thing. He offered it up in his community in the East Bay. Uh, and then uh, we kind of consolidated in my mom's house in San Jose recently. And, you know, people are doing the same there. Like, hey, guys, if you're scared, we're here, uh, you know, and... Some people have adults, uh, older adults in the house, so they're more afraid to go out. Yep. And other people don't have, you know, even if they get infected, they're not afraid of getting infected or infecting others because it's a younger household. 
so yes, people are scared and you know, let's just and people have those momentary reactions where like my mom is a school teacher, she's been teaching forty two years. You know, just the kids, some of the kids that are going home don't have food at home. Mm. You know, so the fear level is higher and that their parents work in, in service industries that are shutting down. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, let's let's be willing to forgive if somebody ha- is having that reaction in the moment because <laughs> they are scared. They are scared and they, they're living month to month. Right? Yeah. So, um, but there are plenty of people who are who are starting to reach out, and I just want to leave that thought that if you're scared, one of the best ways to get over that and is to try and help somebody else in small ways. So it does make does make you feel connected and makes you feel empowered to do something. Do it safely. <laughs> Don't get yourself infected. Yeah. But even something like a phone call like this uh, is. It can go a long way for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, you reminded me that our local uh, store here in Boulder Creek, it's called Wild Roots. It's like a co-op food store. And they've put out that they're, they're open. The first two hours that they're open during the day, they're reserving for the elderly and the, what did they call? Immune compromised. So they're asking people that if you're not elderly or immune compromised, come to shop later, and they want to reserve time after they've cleaned everything up um, to allow the elderly and and uh, at-risk folks to come in first. And I thought that was so sweet, very thoughtful. Um, and to another the other another another point that you made about living together in close quarters and working stuff out. Um, my daughter, I have a son and a daughter. Uh, my daughter lives in Millbrae, and she has uh, two kids. And they're now all home from school, of course, age 9 and 11. And, and the school is um, putting all of their coursework online. So the parents are having to um, help the kids with their work. And she said another mother wrote to her that, Report of the first day of homeschooling. Two students were suspended for fighting, and one teacher was caught drinking on the job. I thought that was pretty. <laughs> There's a lot more appreciation for our teachers, uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, from the perspective of Dhamma, these are, you know, it's like put in, being put in these situations gives us so much opportunity. Like you said, can we live alone? Can we be with, can I be with myself? Can I be with my own mind? And why, why not? Um, can, I, can I cradle that mind and care for it and give it a chance to um, stretch and grow and um, have its um, time to work through its fears, and can I um, be with the people in my life? I think I feel pretty fortunate because as a nun, you're used to living together with the people all the time, 24-7. You do your work together. You 
everything. <laughs> Everything's together. Nothing's changed much in that regard. <laughs> so, but that is a crucible for for practice. Um, to be, a, we're still alive. She said <laughs> we haven't killed each other. I uh, know. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it really is. It's a really great practice ground. Whether we're alone or we're we're with the the others in our household, with so much more contact, it's um, really can help to bring up, you know, kind of like what's what's unhealed inside. So thank you. Thanks for that sharing, Sue. Had um, hi, um, I'm Kyle I'm from San Jose. Hi, Kyle. Um, just really amazed by how many people are here um, together. And uh, thank you so much for making this available to everyone. Um, I think, um, yeah, I mean, this is a scary time. I feel like there's a lot of fear. Um, that seems like the prominent emotion, fear and anxiety. Um, and there's, um, yeah, I mean, we're kind of being forced to, there's this mandatory letting go that's kind of have we're all having to deal with. Um, and one thing, I think it was Brene Brown. Uh, she said that when you shut down one emotion, you shut down all of your emotions. And I'm really hearing this through everyone's experiences and through the teachings today about like being present and having mindfulness, uh, mindful awareness on all of this, through all of this, um, through all the difficult emotions. So when we do have those moments of joy, um, they're, they're there and they're, um, they're that much more, um, potent. Right. And, you know, some things I've been hearing, I mean, I mean, I've been trapped in my house for a long time too, staring at the computer. Um, and then just like walking the dog, I'm seeing like the flowers a little bit differently. <clears throat> I'm seeing a neighbor. I'm talking to her a little bit longer. I'm more present with things, um, maybe than I was before when I had all of these distractions and life pulling me apart, pulling me in different ways. And, um, I just feel a lot of gratitude too. Um, and you know, uh, there is, I think I saw something online about like, you know, since all of the humans are inside, you know, nature's kind of flourishing. There's these dolphins that are going back into the Venice canals. There's monkeys running around Thailand. There's deer roaming around uh, Tokyo. <laughs> so, um, you know, there, this could be um, a wake up call in some, in some sense to um, for everyone. And I feel like there's a gift that's happening uh, right now. Um, it's just whether or not we're able to, hold it and use it um, in, the, in the most skillful uh, way, I think. But uh, I just feel so much gratitude that there's, you know, everybody here and we're all connecting. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm thankful. Thank you, Kyle. I feel the same. I had a quick question, actually. Um, so my mom is interested in coming to Sutta study on Wednesday, and I have some friends who are interested as well. Is it okay if I share the link with them? Absolutely. 
Everybody's Thank welcome. Thank you. Sure, no problem. That's our suit to study on Wednesday evenings. And it's kind of like uh, one person who came from a Christian background said it's the grown-up Sunday school. Um, the, the Buddha's teachings from early Buddhism are not always that easy to take because it's pretty in your face sometimes. <laughs> But, uh, and a little, you know, and repetitive and all of that. But to know what the Buddha actually taught is so valuable, especially in a, in a time when there are lots of things attributed to the Buddha that aren't actually what he said. And so um, everybody's welcome to join Wednesday night. Anyone else want to put in the last word? We've got about three minutes left. I have one question for the ayahs. Uh, what, how, I know um, there are less people out and about, so how are you, um, how are people making offerings to you in terms of food and otherwise, and how can you help Thank you for asking. Um, a number of people have written to us to ask if we need anything, and we do. We have had uh, people drop things off here, uh, and so, and for some people that's not feasible because they're far away. So, um, someone just recently, I think, is is researching the possibility of a gift card to that local market that I mentioned, something like that. Um, right now, we still have quite a lot of food. And so we're doing fine. And as I said, somebody's coming by sometime this weekend with some fresh food. And um, yeah, I think if you would like to help, uh, just drop us an email and we can just talk about what we might need and how it uh, might be a convenient way to get it here. So thanks for asking. Thank you, and we're doing most of our shopping via Costco.com or Amazon and getting groceries delivered to the door. <laughs> so, yeah, and we can't do that here because they can't find our door. Ah, <laughs> um, oh, okay. The address uh, stops at the road, and we're two and a half miles about away from the road. If you put anything out there, it'll be gone before we can find it. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Good but to know. Um, okay. we could probably find... Um, it might be possible through an Amazon locker, um, but we could talk about that. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Well, I think we have come to the end of our call, and I'm very touched by seeing all of you here, and I hope it's been useful. Um, we plan to continue these meetings until it seems like they're not useful anymore or needed anymore. So um, Saturday mornings from 10 to 12, and then our Wednesday night program for Sutta Study. So I hope that you all have um, a healthy and happy week. Um, remember that the Buddha talked about keeping the mind happy um, of course, never uh, shutting down emotions 
but turning towards them and being present with them and allowing them to um, work their way through, but to also support the mind with what's uplifting um, and happy and, you know, not a worldly happiness, but a kind of happiness that really transcends this world, spiritual happiness. And um, may you all be um, safe through this week. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.